Welcome to this episode of the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. In this episode, Gemma and I are delighted to welcome Dr. Alex Mifsud to the podcast, education for sustainable development practitioner and academic. Alex, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and it's a real delight to be with you and share my views and thoughts about the subject. So I met you, Alex, when I embarked on the Sustainable and Inclusive Leadership course with Nottingham Trent University, and uh, which was brilliant, by the way, and I, I really enjoyed my time there. And of course, I met you, this fountain of knowledge, clearly hugely passionate about not just carbon literacy, but clearly about the whole sustainability piece. So Alex, you're an academic in this area. Can you tell us how you got started and why the focus on sustainability? So I go back um, over 25 years um, as an environmental activist. So um, I have I have been working on, my, my story started from the fact that I was a bit bored after I finished university and I volunteered to uh, work for a, an environmental organization just in my free time. And, and that led me to think, okay, I'm now suddenly volunteering for Friends of the Earth, by the way. And I suddenly found myself lobbying political leaders, business leaders on environmental issues, on, for example, waste and recycling and land use and sustainable tourism and composting and sustainability at the time too was just coming in 25 years ago and I realized that actually I would like to um, further my studies to have a little bit more knowledge because I felt I would it would empower me to really do my work effectively um, in the voluntary sector so that's that led me to because I'm an educator by training at the time I was a teacher by training I decided to pursue my educational sort of side of things and I did a master's in environmental education at Nottingham Trent University by the way um, so following from that and then so one thing led to another and I found myself uh, taking on various roles in voluntary sector but also in the public sector um, and and eventually I joined the academic yeah the academia so I have I have seen sort of quite a lot of different sides to things um, from being a lobbyist sort of thing, you know, campaigning, uh, but also then I was uh, invited to take on a role within uh, policy. Uh, so I saw things from the other side and that also led me to work a lot with business leaders. Um, so yes, it's, it's a, I've seen all facets to it in a way. Yeah, civic society, businesses, and also policymakers, yeah. So what do you make of it all, having seen all sounds of it? You know, where are we? What needs to happen? You, you, you know, are you, yeah. are you optimistic and hopeful, Alex? I, I mean, I, I definitely felt that you were, but you definitely don't <laughs> mince your, your words when it comes to this very important subject. I'm glad you mentioned the word hope because I was hoping just to touch upon this. You know, it's effort, sort of like, it's no surprise that I'm often asked, you know, why am I still in a position to feel hopeful about the future? You know, if I was asked this probably 30 years ago, I'm almost certain that at the time it would have never occurred to me that there was a hopeless situation where sort of humankind, you know, would not be able to be, you know, use its sort of genius and intellect uh, to be able to solve the, the, the problems that we face today, you know. I just, probably 30 years ago, I was so naive and I was thinking, yeah, you know, it will all get solved. 
Um, nowadays, I sort of, 25, 30 years old, I sort of start to question this whole notion of hope. Um, is it still sort of legitimate for me to feel hopeful about humankind? But is there sort of, you know, I question, is there the capacity for resourcefulness, you know, for, or a source of hope that we can draw upon? And so really it's, but then you see the young activists and, and also what's happening in, you know, with businesses, you see all the kind of rays of like light and, and it does again refill me with hope, you know. So I look back and I, I think, oh my goodness, you know, we're still talking about almost the same things that yeah. I was like, you know, trying to work on 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And it does make you feel rather, uh, yeah, it, it, it's challenging. And we do go through peaks and thrusts, you know, we do go sort of ups and downs uh, that's quite normal in our in our area yes but I, I feel hopeful because I'm an educator so because I'm an educator I always feel that there's always hope because the human brain and the human being is also the brain is also led by the heart by the passion by emotion and I do believe that when you connect both through educational means but also through correct and good effective marketing um, and then I believe that, yes, there is hope because human beings are, are a wonderful uh, creation. And I think, as you say, there's all these rays of hope out there. And, these, and I think there's so many good things happening. And actually, instead of just talking about the issues, I've seen there's been a real shift into solutions and people talking about the solutions, talking about what they want. And I think that's the movement that we need to drive forward because, you know, people know about the problems but the solutions aren't necessarily out there for everyone who's not reading the right things who isn't living and breathing sustainability on a daily yeah. basis so I think that's where the education piece comes in doesn't it yes, around yes. how do you get that message out yeah yeah because really hope sort of provides us like with a foundation to continue to act like as um you know agents of change so if you don't have hope you will never really continue to work towards um creating agents of change. And I believe education and marketing are brilliant tools for creating more agents of change. Because ultimately we have the science, we have the means, the tools, the technology, it's all there um, available to us as humans. But sometimes I wonder like, do we, um, do we ha have we lost our moral compass? Kind of like, you know, our obligations towards others, towards every human being on earth now, and also the ones that are still to come. Um, so, you know, and unfortunately, because the very tools that are there available to us, which are extremely useful, could also serve as tools where they unfortunately provide misinformation and sort of live streaming of messages that have, you know, that can spread really like wildfire. They come straight into our living rooms, into our phones, practically into our life, you know, into our bloodstream. So, um, you know, we have to really make sure that we use those tools to really bring about this change through education, through marketing, and through, of course, all the technology that's available to us. And I think we also, um, I touched upon this with Michelle uh, in, a, in a previous conversation. We, don't, we also have to be aware that we're living in a culture which, which has sort of short-term um, and immediate gratification. So we have to recognize this, you know, that there are complexities between sort of like, you know, the short term and long term and the hyper-connected world we live in. So, um, you know, in a way we're dealing with like a competition between short term issues and problems and difficulties, but also 
it's like sort of firefighting. You know, we're saying, oh, let's stop plastics now. And then like we've got a new piece of legislation and suddenly we're banning single-use plastic. It's kind of like firefighting. But at the same time, it's just one piece of something which actually we're meant to be looking more long-term. Um, and But so f we have to see how do people, you know, what are the tools and what are the messages that people need for them to change that behavior? Immediate, the immediacy is very quick to do because we've seen through COVID, you know, people, because it's so immediate and so close to you, and then people's behavior really can, can change very quickly. When we deal with sustainability, we're looking more at long-term. Yeah. And that is where the challenge is. I mean, the word sustainable is this, it's, it's got to be sustainable, yeah. isn't it? It's not short term. It's not quick fix. It's this has got yeah. to be a sustainable solution. And I think that's such a valid point about the mindset. And, um, and, and I suppose, you know, I'm, I, I, I probably am a little bit of a, a champion for action. Let's just take the action. Let's just get anything done, you know, because yeah. I'd rather feel or see that we are doing things than, than, you know, this often waiting and planning and waiting and planning and waiting and planning. It can become yeah. very frustrating, doesn't it? So, so I guess, Alex, it's got to be a balance. We've got to be, we've got to be doing some of those short, sharp, what can we do right now, quick fixes, but we've yeah. also got to balance that out with the big stuff, you know, yes. the the yes. enormous challenges that need to be um, resolved. But yes. in the meantime, let's start cleaning up the little bits because it is those incremental changes that can have a significant impact, isn't it, when they collectively all all add up? Yes, it is true, yes. So when I, met, when I spoke about, and I'll come back to this point, um, in a minute, when I spoke about like we live in a culture of immediate gratification, this was a, we look at our you know from a financial monetary consumption patterns. You know nowadays, not even our bank account you know balance is a barrier to us spending and doing things in the immediate. You know because we can use we can have access to quick finance. So you know we want something, we want it today, we will have it. And guess what? We've got the means to do it because we've got you know credit cards, we can take loans and so on, mortgages, etc. And now we've got the technology for of course e-commerce. And of course, if we can order something in the morning and by the evening it's on our doorstep, yeah, brilliant. So we're living and we're breeding and we're creating generations with this mindset. Yet at the same time, we're telling them, you know what? You also need to think of what's going to happen in 2050 because the sea level rise is going to be to the point where we're going to create a, you know, massive destruction to the planet. So they're almost like conflicting messages. Mm. Back to the point that you said about, yes, looking at these immediate steps, but also the overall picture. An example of this is why many, many people in, in our sort of circle are rather critical of these targets which are being made by political and business leaders about so going zero carbon by 2050. And the reason is that those very people that are making these pledges and commitments by 2050, they are not going to be in their post. No. So basically, it's almost like kicking the can down the road. And they need to be more accountable now by putting in a plan that actually targets that they will have to, you know, they, they have to set their own KPIs, you know, that once they're still in post, they have to prove that I've actually done something rather than just say, well, in my time to, in that post, I've created a plan for 2050, you know, so to work towards 2050. 
that's not good enough. We can't do that anymore. So this is why it needs sort of long-term vision, but at the same time, you have to start acting upon it now, which is a very strange connection there. And people, I think, struggle with this. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, behavioral change and marketing, social marketing and getting people, you know, marketing has been responsible for driving consumption, driving people to want things tomorrow, driving people to buy, you know, clothes five times a year as opposed to, you know, twice a year. We, we've driven all of that. And I, I, when I was preparing and, and looking at things for this podcast, I see that, you know, through your research, um, you've been uh, in employee training, infusing thinking skills into employee training um, on sustainable development, which creates behavioral changes. So people take ownership of decisions, actions, uh, choices and behavior. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that um, mm-hmm. really because, you know, then that needs to flow through into what marketers do to change behaviours in society. Yes, yes, yes. So the whole, um, the concept in, in sort of education for sustainable development is because we try to, um, first of all, we, we research how human beings learn. What are, what, what, you know, it's almost like behavioural psychology sort of thing. And uh, so what, because ultimately every human being is a learner. So we need to know how how people learn, how you know, because unless they learn something, and then they're not going to change their behavior, etc. So we talk a lot about, say, transformative learning and and experiential learning. So this means you know, learning through experience and helping people to be a part of it, of like this the famous of bottom up, involving people to so that so that they feel that they can actually take ownership of the actual learning process. So in order to do that, you need to rather than design something and say, okay, we need to start doing this, this and this. It's more a matter of what do you feel? What what do you think? Um, what do you think you need? What support do you need in order for you to start um, you know, being an, an actor for change or for uh for you to start perhaps working towards zero carbon, etc. So you could ask, you know, c- consumers, you could ask wh- whichever target audience, and they need to be roped in because ultimately they know what their gaps are. Yeah. Um, so that is where we do sort of just transformative learning and, and approach and, and experiential learning. Yeah. It sounds a lot like marketing research, doesn't it? Exactly what we do with, you know, when we're engaging stakeholders is understanding the views of our customers, understanding the views of our employees, you know, internal internal marketing as well. Alex, you've worked on sustainability programs with uh, organizations. And I'd be interested to, because obviously this podcast, we like to give people practical things that they can do. But I'd also be interested for you, your view on what are the common challenges? What do people have to often overcome when they're looking at embedding sustainability programs within their organizations? Yeah. Um, the first key one is always senior leadership buy-in. So, you know, unless you have senior leadership on board, and then it gets quite difficult, not because you need it to be top down, but you need to have their support. They need to be the ones that are actually creating a vision for the, for the organization. Um, because then all the, all the rest of the organization, they feel they know that they are working towards that vision and they are all part of it and their views, et cetera, will be taken into consideration. So that is one of them, senior leadership uh, buy-in. Another one is, of course, 
time and financial constraints. Um, that is something. And of course, what I what I said about sort of you know this process in order to ensure that people learn effectively to really make long lasting impact. Um, the process is a little bit. Uh, it takes longer. Why? Because you need. It's it's a process of co-creation. You are creating yeah. a program for them that you're working with them. With them. That takes longer, right? Like when you do stakeholder consultation, etc., rather than saying, right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Yeah. And as a result, that's more time consuming. And a lot of organizations cannot afford their employees that much time to work on this. So unfortunately, a lot of organizations, they tend to fall into the trap of uh, bringing in um, an off-the-shelf training program which is sort of like just, you know, four hours or whatever. Everybody does the training, job done, and they can tick a box. But unfortunately, it would not be really um, sometimes, let's say, or in many cases, the off-the-shelf ones will not be needs-based. Yeah, so they're not based specifically. They're not tailored for that organization. Because every organization has its own culture, has its own needs, um, and also expectations, and also working towards their own goals. You know, they may want to focus much more, for example, in their corporate plan, you know, say for the next five years, they've decided to work on one or two SDGs. So then you need to, you know, tailor-make the program to help them get towards those goals. So that is, and, and unfortunately, a lot of time I see organizations where they put quite a lot of money on such training, which is off the shelf, and the impact is, let's say, not as powerful as it could be yeah and like you say that they've ticked the box so it's kind of like yeah we're doing the sustainability planning we're educating the the team but that's not the most effective way to go around the program because as you say it's not tailored it's not needs focused Mm -hmm. um and and i uh, like you say then if it if people if it's not in the hearts and minds of individuals because it's not it doesn't engage with them and they're not bought in then the engagement level is is really it's not that authentic, is it? It's not it's not a real. It's yeah. just kind of a process that that people go through rather than we're all pulling together in the same direction and we're all on purpose. Um, which I yeah. suppose, as you say, if the senior leadership team are driving this and we're driving it from purpose and uh, and then it's cascading through, that's way so much more powerful, isn't it, for everybody to engage with. And you mentioned um, the SDG, so the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, I wasn't aware, I don't believe Michelle was aware of them before we researched the book and wrote the book. And, you know, I don't think they, well, obviously they're not marketed well enough. And, that you know, and there is a lot of targets and a lot of sub-targets under that. But I think, you know, I think these are fundamental as a sort of, you need to be aware of them as a start point. And then as a business, you need to be able to, as you say, build them, align your strategies to the sustainable development goals if you were to have a real sustainable, you know, development plan. So in t- what are your views around how we, how businesses and, and Michelle and I are really driving this education piece? How do people make themselves aware of the SDGs? Yeah, um, I think uh, say the SDGs in our circle in the EU, there would be people that are critical of the SDGs uh, and there are reasons why and I can understand that and I, I, I am also, you know, I can critique them if needs be. Um, but overall, you know, they are the right response to the global challenges of the 21st century because it's it's kind of, they are like the right antidote to the loss of trust almost like, you know, in 
in, for example, in some countries where they've lost faith in, say, global cooperation, you know. Yeah. So this sort of really brings, again, the SDGs helps us to rise above where we are in our little pocket in this planet, you know, where we kind of operate. And it helps us to rise above and see things more globally, more holistically. And you can start engaging then the education processes to bring in what we call systems thinking and multi-solving approaches where you help um, where you help learners to look at the interconnectedness of things. So for example, the SDGs on you know zero poverty and and, um, and no hunger, you know, it's it's important for us to support in you know in Western and in rich economy countries to support the um, low-income countries because at the end of the day we are it's all we're all interdependent yep. you know yeah. so we can't we can't just ignore the fact that they are that there's still those people and communities in the in this situation it does seem that um that there is that we do still have this very much I'm all right, Jack. Kind of attitude, and yeah. uh, and we really need to break through that, that. Businesses need to break through that as well. And and I think that's an interesting point, Alex. About when we talk about co-creation and collaboration, a lot of these sustainability uh, programs and sustainable solutions are going to have to mean that competitive industry or people within competitive industries, competitive industries, and competitors within industries are going to have to actually start working together. Are you seeing? that coming through in the work that you're doing more I think not as much as I would like it to be no perhaps I'm an idealist and I try um, and I also am a firm believer of kind of you know working hard for the common good and unfortunately yes and probably COVID has left us with in a way fighting for survival you know the fight you know the fittest um, so it has whilst it has brought about a sense of Kind of more community support and spirit, but at the same time, from a business entity perspective, businesses that have really been adversely impacted are now more focused on, I need to get myself back in shape. So yeah. probably working collaboratively with a competitor of theirs is at the moment probably a bit too much to ask. <laughs> I know the tickets will be first on there in the forefront of their minds. But the, the SDGs are, you know, you look at so, the social inequalities and, and SDGs talk a lot about this. And again, we have seen that uh, come through in the pandemic, you know, the social inequalities. Yeah. They're, reflect, they're a complete mirror to the inequalities and injustices when it comes to environmental injustices, climate injustices, um, you know. But also we see the links to business, like uh, Michelle has just said, um, as a result of drought, as a result of a um, weather extreme weather event in Taiwan, it has wiped out one of the largest production plants of microchips, and we do not. And there's a huge global uh, shortage, so we have car manufacturing plants in the UK right across the world from Taiwan, where they had to lower their production rates because they have at least a good six months until the supply of microchips comes back to where it should be. So we see the interconnectedness. Yeah. A factory worker in a production plant somewhere in the UK, I would not, you know, most likely we wouldn't be able to make these connections. We don't see it, do we? No, absolutely. Mother Nature kicks back, doesn't she, every now and again, as a reminder. Um, but I mean, and also, I guess the SDGs in terms of the shaping regulation, you know, and governments, I think governments need to, as you say, not wait until the plastic issue gets so bad that we just go right, we're banning it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I think there is some you know, some way forward there where 
you look at the SDGs and you, you, they should, we should be forward thinking and saying that we need to reg- put regulation in here. We know this practice is happening here and it's not right because it has a negative impact, whether it's, you know, poverty or, or, you know, modern slavery, all those things. And, and it, we should be putting regulation in place ahead of time. I know that's quite idealist and, you know, uh, but we should be using the SDGs to say, where do we need more regulation to stop things happening? Yeah. And, and that is actually the whole idea behind a SDG is just like the, the Paris Climate Agreement. They yeah. are just, they're, they're not a plan. They are just um, our political leaders coming together and agreeing on, a, on saying, okay, we would like to work towards this. But then it was up to each of those political leaders, you know, the signatories to those uh, international agreements, um, to go back to their home countries, to their countries, and start working. Now, how the United Nations, for example, for the SDGs, will not dictate to each member, you know, United Nations member state, how they are going to, to work towards zero hunger or yeah. gender equality, etc. It is up to each political leader to then go back to their nation and work with the stakeholders and businesses, etc., and say, okay, I think we should be doing legislating, we should be doing this and so forth. And then every year they have um, a dashboard, you know, where they report. And then and that's a monitoring platform. Um, and then every every country yearly reports due to the United Nations on their progress. And then they are kind of aged. Okay, there's again, if I were to go into the technicality of that dashboard, there's a lot of uh, disagreements from the United Nations member states. Some are saying it's not a correct way of measuring our progress. Some are saying it is, and so on and so forth. Um, but ultimately, yes, so it is. Like like the Paris Climate Agreement, you know, it's it's a case of, okay, each country takes its own decisions and, and legislates accordingly. And each business leader does the same. You know, everybody has a role to play. They do. And the, and the challenge with that is, I mean, you're absolutely right. You would think that in 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 this world where we stand right now, where technology is and and the lessons that we've learned over the past, that, of course, that framework, these goals to work towards country leaders, uh, you, you know, as you say, would would feel empowered to go back and implement these uh, practices. And then this would affect change. But of course, everybody's got their own view of things. And and this is what Gemma and I and, and Geraint, when we were researching the book, we were like, whoa, there's so many different ideas around how you measure things and there's there doesn't seem to be any balance across the metrics and so one organization can be saying yeah we're flying ahead but they're at one level and another is at a different level and and yet they're both achieving the goals but but you know at very different very different rates so there doesn't seem to be that accountability that that is there and 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 I I get that we don't want to become a kind of you know dictatorship where you say okay well this is what you've got to do but it does seem that there needs to be maybe perhaps stronger guidance around what is the accountability you know what is expected yeah. Yeah. the accountability piece for me I feel it's missing a little bit yeah because again it's left very much on each member state so, um, and one, one way of getting a good idea of how seriously a, a particular member state is taking the SDGs is where they trust that um, kind of portfolio within their government, you know, if it's sort of, you know, just shoved in the corner of a little 
subdivision of some ministry or department, you know, they're kind of, yeah, they're not really working on it. Some others have raised it to kind of like, you know, office of the prime minister kind of level, you know, where they're saying, and that, that's a clear message that, look, you know, we're going to take it seriously. And you know what, if needs be, we're going to use the power of being like, you know, within the office of the prime minister to get things, you know, yeah. moving. Because it's, it, I, and and it makes sense. But then again, for business, or, you know, for, for businesses, they need a bit of direction too. I, I, I don't know, there was a recent, maybe about two years ago, uh, and I'm sure there's more updated data on this, but I had like, you know, say, for example, on gender equality, and we talk about the gender pay gaps, etc., and the gender gaps in the labor force. And the UK has calculated that if there is, you know, if a, in the UK were to eliminate the gender gap, in the labor force participation can boost the GDP by five to eight percent, you know? So, whoa, what, why not? <laughs> what are we waiting for? Is it maybe a piece of legislation? Does it have to be, you know, positive discrimination? Or is it just something as basic as offering more childcare? Um, what is stopping, you know, women to be in the labor force? And that is, again, there needs to be governmental intervention. And I think we talk, we talk about accountability and we've talked about regulation and we've talked about the challenges. The opportunity yeah. is for, for change and doing good. Given that if we don't, if we carry on as we are, the end result is it's pretty catastrophic, isn't it? Let's face it, without being, you know, yeah. a drama queen about this. The, but the opportunities being green or, or doing things that are build us more sustainable future have economic opportunity have financial opportunity there's growth out there so again yeah. I, I i i still struggle with it going there's a reason for change it's not like we're not saying we all need to go down this path um mm-hmm. because we're going to save the planet and that by the way it's not going to be great but the planet will be great but there's massive opportunity linked to it and I think also there is, um, and this is why education and probably, you know, in, in your roles in marketing, and this is where probably you, you have a very strong role to play, um, to, to really try to bring the interconnectedness. I know I keep mentioning this, but this is so important and this whole systems thinking approach, because a lot of people, um, last week I asked couple of my master's students, you know, they had a task and they were asked to, to sort of say whether they believe that they are, their current lifestyle is in line with sustainability principles. And they came back after 15 minutes in their breakout room and they said, yes. And I thought, whoa, not even I would be able to say yes. You know? and, and then I said, okay, provide examples. And some of the examples they gave were like pitiful, you know, because I put things into the recycling bin. And I'm like, no, it's sustainability is so much wider. You know? so, but a lot of people are still looking at it in a very silo kind of, you know, yeah. approach. And we need to bring in the interconnectedness of how, for example, why it is important that we change this whole concept that, for example, globally, global banks, there's only 2% of the global banks where their CEO is female. And now, if you basically, we are saying that global finances are being decided and determined by male. In other words, 50% approximately of the world's population is unrepresented in those massively large decisions. Um, and, and it's just as dismal when you look at the boards of banks, okay? And oh, yeah. um, it's, women are hugely unrep- underrepresented, people of, you know, 
different, you know, there's no diversity um, in the boards. So how on earth, as a, for example, black, black female or an Asian female, how on earth do I feel comfortable and reassured that the world's finances are being managed in a manner to represent who I am? You know, so this, and then again, it's, it just takes you back. Yes, you know, these are people in very senior positions, but they will not be able to bring in the challenges perhaps of childcare or of other issues, you know, um, it's that, so, we, and, and there is data, the International Monetary Fund has carried out surveys and, and, and research on this. And they say that the ones, those boards, those organizations where there is diversity at the board level, are more likely to succeed because you bring in all, all viewpoints. So it's much easier to future-proof your organization. And I think that future-proofing the organization is, is, is something that, and you know, when we say future-proof, that's sustainable, isn't it? That's make it sustainable. And, and I, that point that you, you say so well there, Alex, is that sustainability, this isn't just about recycling stuff. This isn't just about the green agenda. It does evolve. It does involve so much more, doesn't it? About, as you say, gender equality. And, and, and as Gemma said, the, the UN SDGs are a great, there are 17 goals there, aren't they? And that yeah. it, it really is a great starting point to be just looking at as an organization. If you're thinking to start out on your sustainability program, Look at the 17 SDGs, and I think there are something like 169 subsections to those. So it goes into quite a lot of granular information. And if you align, uh, it was, you know, you could then just look at those goals, couldn't you, and say, well, where are we now and where do we want to get to? And which one of those goals are the low hanging fruit for us? And which ones could we approach in a year, in three years, in the next five years? Not by 2030 or 2050, but maybe one, three and five years so that you're actually you've got a practical framework. I mean, Gemma and I in the book, Alex, you've got the book now. I hope I hope I really hope you enjoy it. Um, But, you know, in in the book we give. Yes, there it is. We give a framework uh, about how marketers can kind of get started. But, you know, to make this really practical, I think the SDGs are a great place to, to look at and to be thinking about, okay, well, this is where we are. Where do we want to get to? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's, um, I think what you said is, is great because the SDGs can provide a framework for basically any corporate plan, any organizational plan. Um, and it, it can be then, you know, made into a smart action plan where you've got really, you know, you break it down into small pieces. But that plan needs to be worked with going back to my, my, my one of the initial thoughts um, was that needs to be worked with the people in the organization on board because they, it's a matter of co-creation. It's a matter of co-designing, you know, working together because once they feel they are doing that, once they feel they've been a part of it and then they know, and then we know research shows that then the likelihood of them kind of working on it is, is higher. So, Alex, on this podcast, we like to ask all our guests some quick fire questions um, to wrap up the show. So the first question I'm going to pose to you is, can marketing Mm -hmm. save the planet? What's your view? Um, Yes, I believe it is 
It is one of the suite of tools available to society that helps save the planet. So indeed, yes, it is one tool. I obviously work in another sector, which is education, and I could easily say education can save the planet. So it can be seen as an educational tool, um, a promotional tool for so showcasing good practice, good services, and even good products. You know, why not? Um, marketing can be used to, in all these in all these wonderful ways. For example, it could even be used for just um, promoting uh, educational workshops or things, uh, but also examples of good good companies where they are really embedding the SDGs, etc. So um, it could also be marketing products, you know, and 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 shops, etc., that sell that are really working hard to reduce their impact on the planet. So, yep. Yeah. Perfect. I hope that's answered that. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, and our second question is: What do you hope? business looks like in 10 years time yeah i would hope it would be more diverse they would be more diverse uh, in representation as i think i touched upon uh, more flat right so less um, less hierarchy um, also i would like them to be ones where they are using science and innovation to work in harmony with the planet with the community and with their employees yeah so i think that is a where I would like to see businesses. Yeah. I, I like that working in harmony with the planet, the pla you know, and their employees. It's it 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 definitely makes sense. And that that balance, I mean, boy, oh boy, how long have we been going on about all of those balance issues? So um that's good. And your last question, Alex, then, if you were to give just one piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainability, you know, getting a sustainability program running, what what piece of advice would you give to them? <laughs> Again, I think we touched upon it, to become educated on sustainability and the SDGs, in other words, to raise their heads above the parapet, we say, because once you see things, once you start to see this whole system and this interconnectedness, you will never be able to unsee it. And you, it's literally just changes the way you view the world and the way you've, you operate as a person in your personal role, in your professional role. So yeah, educate, be, become educated, learn about sustainability and the SDGs. You know, get out of get out of your comfort space. Yeah, couldn't agree more. No, I couldn't agree more. And and for Gemma and I, that's exactly what happened when we we discovered all of this stuff with writing the book. And we still have conversations now saying, what the hell are we doing? You know what? But we are now on this absolute mission to educate marketers because that's exactly what happened to us, Alex. Once you learn this stuff, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, we've got to do something about this. We really have. And, and if we can educate marketers to, as you so beautifully say, raise their heads above and to really understand this stuff, you can't unsee it once you know it. And so to act responsibly is the right thing to do. 